Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Jim Moffat. Um, a little, something a little bit different for our listeners. Um, Jim is not a lawyer, it's never has been, but he's had an incredible professional career, 30-plus years at Deloitte Consulting, um, culminating in the position of being chairman and CEO uh, of Deloitte Consulting globally. It's a fascinating discussion. Jim takes us through his professional career, lots of learnings, um, both in relation to building a career, um, also you know, um, the importance of balancing um, a professional career and personal lives. We talk about that. Uh, Jim's actually recently joined, in fact, chairs up the Pursuit Strategic Advisory Board. So we talk about a little bit about that and the future um, of uh, professional services and Jim's views on that. So it's a fascinating discussion, um, something a little bit for everyone in this one. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax and enjoy the episode. Jim Moffat, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Jim, thanks for having me. I'm excited, excited for the discussion as well. Fantastic. Now, Jim, the, the perhaps the pinnacle of your career, I'm not sure I'm going to let you talk about that, but certainly your last um, major position in a professional organisation is that you were um, chairman and basically global CEO of Deloitte Consulting. Okay. You weren't always in that position, but that was... So let's build up. How did you get there? Take me through the Jim Moffat story. Yeah, and I'll start right there. You know, Jim, I, I, I never aspired to be a CEO. It was never on the list. You know, I grew up in a family of physicians. My dad was a doctor. My grandfather was a doctor. My sister was a doctor. I went to undergrad um, and, and did a double major in biology and management science. I, I like business, but I actually struggled with that decision. I went through all the way through undergrad and actually got accepted to business school right out of undergrad, but deferred a couple of years to make sure I really didn't want to be a doctor. And I you know, kind of confirmed that. Went to business school. At that point, consulting was very, very early. I didn't even know what consulting was. I ended up getting an internship uh, with Deloitte Consulting. Back in those days, it was Touche Ross. And, um, you know, I thought I'd do it for two years. And I, you know. And, and, th- and th- 32 years later, <laughs> that, that that's right. A, a, a little bit to unpack there because we hear that story quite a lot. I wasn't sure what we are going to do um, uh, when we're younger, go through uh, undergrad and for the for the younger listeners too. Um the confidence, how did you ha- where did the confidence come from not to go down the kind of path that might otherwise have been set for you um, because of the family? Because that would have been in itself um, a, 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 for you, I imagine, a bit of a struggle, a, you know, a bit of self, real self uh, soul searching. Tell me a little bit about that for you know, those younger listeners out there and how you got the confidence to go, well, this is probably not going to be for me. Yeah. And I, you know, I think a lot of it was, I I have to give my parents a lot of credit. My dad, while while a physician, 
never really tried to steer me that way. And so we had a lot of good discussions around the medical profession, how it was evolving, you know, how it had changed over time and, you know, kind of what fit with what I wanted to do. You know, I, I think the thing about consulting is I could never, I could never say no. Like I, you know, I, I was always intrigued by the next thing. And the thing about consulting, um, and I've, I started to talk about it, essentially you're a doctor for businesses. And so, but I was always intrigued by solving problems and the, the business stage and what I could do with consulting actually seemed to fit my personality better um, versus the, the type of career you would have in medical. But I, again, I go back to my father who was really quite, you know, he was kind of a coach, but he certainly was not trying to steer me or put any pressure around me. So I, as a parent, I tried, I tried to do that with my kids. Um, not maybe not as successfully, but but yeah. I tried. Well, uh, well I, I I was going to ask about that too because you're not similar in terms that we got adult children now, and we probably we're going through have gone through that phase where each one of them I've got three they're kind of um, some are more settled than others, but searching for what that career path happens to be as it happens. My, my son has got into consulting himself, but. Um, uh, it when what 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 what's your what's your advice to parents steering their young adult children or steering or guiding or providing the kind of support that you had? What's the advice that you would give um, out there to? You know, it's again, everyone's different. I you know, I've, I've learned a lot about what I I thought my wife and I did well and and kind of areas I would go back and redo one. In the career I had, particularly once I got the CEO roles, you know, I traveled a lot, right? And I always tried to be there for the important things. But I, I will have to admit, when I kind of go back, I, I, I probably convinced myself I was there more than I was because it's not just the important things. And, it, you know, so it's pretty easy when they're young, when they get into the teenage years. So the two things I would have done differently you know, because kids, when there's that balance between independence and really wanting your parents is I probably would have inserted myself a little bit more at times with that. And I would have shared more of the business. My dad was, a you know, doctors are an interesting kind of breed. And and he was kind of the classic, um, quiet, strong kind of leader, didn't say a lot. And so I didn't share. My kids had no idea what I did for them. None. That, you know, um, and I would have I would have shared more of kind of what I was going through from a business standpoint as part of coaching and getting them to know me a little bit more. And I have a great relationship with my kids and all that. But if I went back and did it, you know, a lot of times they push you away. That really means you got to insert. And number two, I would have shared more of kind of that side of my life with my kids. Than I Fantastic did. insight because I, it's funny, I feel exactly the same. For some reason, um, uh, I, I think particularly when the kids are in the kind of uh, teenage and those real, really formative years, we assume they don't know, understand or care. Um, and sometimes some of that is right, but the sharing... Um, and the speaking to them as adults, even before you think they're ready to hear, to understand and get them involved, whether it's life, personal decisions that you and your partner are going through, whether it's the 
um, are some struggle. Whether it's what's happening at work, I just that is a key lesson for me too. Um, uh, and that's certainly, I'd absolutely, um, I, if I was, I was giving advice, that's another, that's one I'd, I'd absolutely give. Lean in and let them lean in. Yeah, and I was doing this with a couple, one of my partners who I was close to, I was interviewed by a young practitioner, and they'd say, they asked me a question, which was, if you could do something different with your kids, what would you do? And I, I had some trite kind of response. My partner next to me sat down and just very succinctly said, I would have let them fail more. And, you know, the problem is our kids, they see us when we're fully formed, right? They see us when we're in a position of, you know, success and stability. And they don't see all the mistakes we make and the times we had, a you know, a bad project or a bad review or whatever it was. Uh, they see this this person who's you know already established, and so it puts a lot of pressure on the kids to to try to be perfect. And and so I think there's a balance there. You know, you have to be a bit vulnerable and show them. Yeah, I had you know I, I wasn't always the person you see. And you know, you try to. I have lots of flaws today, so don't don't get me wrong. <laughs> but but uh, they see the fully formed package. It makes it hard on them. It does. And it's, look, it's a little bit of a whip, kind of, I think about it sometimes as a first world problem, but it's the middle, the kind of middle class or the professional class where, um, l- let's say, the environment that our children have grown, grown up in is a, probably a little bit more cushioned, if I can put it that way. Um, uh, they ha- haven't been really necessarily exposed to a real struggle. Um, a family struggle, uh, when that strong comes to being able to put food on the table, um, and that necessarily builds a different level of resistance, if I can put it that way. And, and I think one thing that certainly when I was, um, you know, kids are younger and I'm thinking about how do you build resistance in children as, they grow, as they're growing and becoming young adults in circumstances where the environment is a kind of a cushioned, um, uh, if I can put it that way, a cushioned environment? And, and I know there's a lot of people I've spoken to out there in a similar position asking themselves the same question, and, and, and there's not an easy answer. I think the failing one, <laughs> failing role and, and allowing is, is an absolute must um, so, look, I'd absolutely echo that. Yeah, it's 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 hard when they're your kids. Though. Like, they're, they're, unfortunately, there's no playbook for for being a parent. Right? It just, it just love them to death and and try not to screw up too bad. Yeah, yeah, but 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 I do like letting really exposing them to to more of what you do, what your daily life is, what your own personal and partner kind of struggles. Are um, so that they do, so they don't have that um, perception of something that's perfectly formed, <laughs> because because the knocks and the bruises and the scratches and <laughs> and the broken limbs that 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 preceded all of that. Yeah, when you try to go back and tell them that story, if they haven't seen it, it's pretty pretty hard. And in my case, I met my wife in business school, and she's. A tremendously strong, you know, woman, and you know she was a senior executive at Nestle, and so, you know, it, it both type A driven, you know. No, no pressure, no pressure there 
for the children. So, so talking about early lessons, take me through what are some of the lessons um, in your professional career um, that perhaps you'd wish you wish you'd learned a little earlier, uh, or yeah, put in place a little earlier now with the benefit of you know time and reflection. You know, I had I had some great mem- mentors that I think really did a good job of kind of setting some parameters for me around what to do professionally. Right. So, uh, you know, I had some some leaders early on who were smart enough to say, "Look, find find what you're passionate about and kind of and follow that." Right. And 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 there were some elements about being willing to take some risks. Um, one of my partners early on he goes, "You know, look, you, you know." Every once in a while, you got to pick your head up and make sure what you're doing is what you want to do with your career. And if you if it's not, come talk to me. So imagine that you know I was a young you know uh, consultant out of business school, doing fairly well, but a partner basically saying, "Hey, if it's not good, come talk to me." Right? It's okay. And by the way, his point was not that we'll find something else here. If it's not right for you, we'll, we'll help you go find something. Right? That just completely opened up the door for me to kind of kind of follow what I wanted to do as well as, you know, that it was okay to ask for help and guidance. Um, The thing that I probably learned later was the concept of how to balance kind of work and your personal life. And there was a, there was a part probably fairly young and a partner. And we had a session where somebody came in and said, first of all, number one, people define work-life balance differently. So it's not the same thing for every person, which, and, and even at different times in your life. But there probably was a bit of a mantra earlier in my career that said, you have to be able to separate your personal from your professional. And I came to believe over time that that's just not possible. If you're, if you're not taking care of your personal life and your family life, it's very hard to thrive professionally. And so there was a sense of trying to keep those isolated that I came to understand that you had to really think about the whole thing. And then as a leader, the other part is you had to make that really visible to your team and your people to enable them to do the same thing for their, their you know, within their own lives. It's funny. Sometimes it's, I think about it, um, and even the phrase work-life balance, I think it's misleading um, and it's a bit illusory. You've got to understand um, and be clear with yourself as to what's important um, and then the trade-offs. I, call, I talk about trade-offs in order um, to achieve the goals that you've set for yourself, professional and personal. And they're absolutely right. You're absolutely right in saying you cannot just put them in separate buckets um, because they absolutely interrelate in an impact on each other. Um, and so, so balance is, for me, is uh, it's, there's this perfect, there's a sense of you've got it right, it's perfect, um, and, and you it, it just doesn't. With one on one side and the other side, and, you know, the other on the other side, balancing perfect, it just doesn't happen like that. And, and I agree. Kind of the earlier. I think you're. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's more around. You, you just you can't ignore one for the other. And being okay with saying, my professional life is incredibly important, and um, there's 
very little time where I'm not thinking or planning or immersed in it. I'm still managing and have, let's say, a, a, um, a happy and thriving personal life. But being okay with um, your professional life, being a, a huge part of what you are, who you are, and accepting um, that if, if, if that's if that's you know if that's the case, and not feeling guilty about it. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's a big part of it. It's kind of accepting who you are. That there, everybody's a little bit different. Like I, I, I like to learn things. I, I've I've always been the type of person that likes to figure out how to how to solve a problem or a challenge. And you know, I'm I'm energized by that, right? And so, and I, I work hard, and I and I, I'm, and, and so to ignore that and say I've got to you know turn off the clock at a certain time. That, that's not me either. At, at the same point, you, you can't ignore the other part of your life to the exclusion. Of, at least I couldn't, right? For me, I, I, I needed to have a sense that I was thriving in both elements of my life. Now, over time, that varies, right? Particularly in the services business, it's probably the same for you in legal. You don't, you don't always know. You, know, you got the perfect holiday set up with the family on, a, on a, for a long weekend, and you get the call the Friday at 2 that, hey, we've got something going on and I need the weekend done, right? That was always the hardest, hardest part. So you, you had to kind of bob and weave at times um, to make it work. Um, so, so, so let's shift a little um, uh, bit into gears. Um, well, let's shift, shift gears a little bit. Um, now, you've recently joined um, the Pursuit Strategic Advisory Board. Um Tell us a little bit about why. And the reason I'm asking, Jim, is that I've got no doubt, and I, I know you're presented with many, many opportunities um, and positions, and you can pick and choose. So I'm interested to talk about why pursue. You know, so as I, as I it can, I'll put it in the context of my next chapter. Like, so a lot of people talk about I retired from Deloitte. I actually, yes, I did formally retire from Deloitte, but I didn't retire. I just, I, you know, I was at a point where I was ready for the next chapter and that next chapter for me, in part because the latter part of my career at Deloitte, we really put a lot of time and attention around earlier stage companies and particularly exponential technologies. And I came to appreciate kind of the, where the innovation was coming from and where the growth was coming from. And and in many ways, the cultures of what I saw in these enterprises was a lot like the firm I joined when we were a very small, you know, consulting firm in industry that was just forming. And so what I've done is I've, I've partnered with, you know, a number of VCs and private equity firms to, to curate these interesting companies. And, and what I look for, number one, is, you know, companies that have a bold vision. And that, that they are, they want to do something great. It's about growth. It's about creating a new category. It's around really disrupting. And then number two, that the, the leadership team is steeped in culture and values. That they, they have a strong sense of how they want to treat each other, um, treat their, their customers, and, and what really kind of binds the organization. Um, and, and I start with that. And then I look at how big the TAM is and what the opportunity is. Um, Pursuit hit it on every dimension to me. 
you know, I think a bold vision in an area that's ripe for disruption um, with a leadership team that I, you know, I really love. And that's every interaction I've had with every member of the pursuit team has been consistent in the, in the quality, character, values of the team. It's true. I, look, the, the meeting we had with the SAB in, in New York was just, it, you know, it's what I used to love about consulting. You'd get a bunch of, you know, kind of motivated, smart people in a room. Your team is fabulous that are just trying to figure out how to, how to do something great. There is certainly, there's certainly something about this stage, isn't, isn't there, when it's yeah, yeah, early on, it's a, it's a new category, there's a whole lot of opportunity um, ahead of you and just the energy um, that you know, a, a small team can give off to start and then build off that and build off the, exactly the kind of principles you talk about, the right culture, um, the opportunity. It's, um, I have to say, I do feel really blessed <laughs> um, that, that we're in this position. Yeah, and look, and I've, I've seen companies, it, look, it, the firm I joined was steeped in, in values. In fact, I, I remember the person that ran the LA office, and, and we were a very office-based firm at that point. He told me, you know, when you go to when you go to sleep at night, you should see the the, the values kind of imprinted on your eyelids, so that when you're asleep, you, you see, because everything came back to that as our north star, and that that I get the same sense from from the pursuit team. Yeah, along with doing something great. So, um, I, and I also look. I, I was I was a strategy guy. I was a growth guy and a client guy. I love growth. I, I want. I love looking. How do you take something and scale it? Which is where you know. Right now, you're kind of in the evangelist phase a bit, ready to put some some gas in the rocket engine and let this thing go. I, I love that stage. Uh, I love I love the the way you summarize it. You know, strategy, clients, growth. Um, it's um, yeah, an exciting time. So, so tell me about then your perspective in professional services and what you think the kind of the future holds. Um, uh, perhaps touching a little bit on legal from your experience, but more broadly across professional services. If you were to project out five, ten plus years, what, what do you see? Well, I mean, the, the um, you know, first of all, I think the intersection of technology into professional services is like every other industry, right? I mean, any, any professional service organization that isn't leveraging technology in some way to innovate how they deliver what they do to create greater impact and value is, is going to lose. Um, and so you know, we spent a tremendous amount of time um, in my, and that was a big part of what, you know, the strategy that, that I did with my team going back in 2010, 2011 was all, all geared towards how do we prepare ourselves for the next decade? And it was steeped in the fact of what was happening with technology, which was, you know, a, a very different proposition our clients were asking for. They were asking for us to come with essentially pre-configured ecosystems with some some assets that would accelerate whatever we were doing for them in services. And I think that's pretty true across all the professional services. I think you see different degrees of maturity in terms of delivery of that. 
I would say legal is the one that is probably the most old school and was probably ripest for disruption versus some of the other ones. But I think they all have yeah, a similar uh, pattern. I, I agree. The intersection between technology, the delivery of legal services, um, particularly the well, uh, delivery of professional services broadly, including legal, of course, and the, and the complexity of those services, um, uh, which I think the market will only continue to grow. Um, it, it's, I don't think you're going to see an eradication of any kind of professional service, it, it, but it's going to look different. Uh, I expect it's going to look more powerful because what I think will happen is technology will, st- will continue to take the drudgery, <laughs> if I can put it that way, out of the work um, and, and the, you know, the higher value, more complex part will continue to be high value complex. And that's the space, no doubt. That's where, that's where you want to be, certainly as a professional service provider. Yeah, and I, and I think the best professional services firms are really going to think about how, you know, how they do that. And, and look, there's, the way we deliver strategy when I retired, you couldn't have done back when I started. I mean, just the, the availability of data and the way you can you know, scrape you know, information off you know, social media and the web as input into some of the assessment. And I think that's true across the board. I, I did, the, the challenge for professional services firms is while they do that is how do you continue to create an environment where you develop the next generation of professionals. Because at the end of the day, you still need a world-class lawyer, right? Who can, you know, put all the things together or a world-class consultant who can look at what's happening externally and help frame it and communicate in a way that the team can understand it. And that is, I think, the bigger challenge, particularly as they scale. I know that was one of the things we faced as we went from, you know, a $150 million business to a, you know, a $15 billion business when I, when I retired, it was seven and a half when I took over and 15 billion when I, when I retired on the path to 20, right. And beyond now. And so now you start talking about numbers of people and the way you have to, you know, recruit them, develop them. That's very different than when I joined. And so I think that's the, you know, one of the challenges for this, which is I, I think there's a unique aspect of that that we really haven't unpacked yet. But with pursuit, what I'm thinking about the consultant or the law firm is what can the pursuit platform do to help enable kind of the development of the next generation on the, on the professional side as well. Uh, re- really interesting because um, I, I think, you know, one of the challenges of, any, if you like, kind of marketplace is what are you doing on the supply side um, rather than just the buy side to actually deliver real value? You and I have talked about this a lot. So that the supply side, the firms and their offerings are are exactly that. They're um, they're being, value's being delivered. They're creating more opportunities. They're, um, They're strengthening their relationships um, uh, with with the, with the buy side with their clients and, and what you've just mentioned are really interesting. Um, how are they growing the talent, their own talent pool, and, and and getting them ready for the next? Well, well, the the future leaders, um, and that's 
you know, that's the challenge, obviously, for every professional organization. And the, and the Pursuit platform, right, the, the, the innovative professional services firm, you know, if this is done well, is going to have a lot more flexibility in terms of how they deliver the, the project program, you know, different resource models, different talent models, other ways in which they can creatively deliver the impact at an economic, you know, cost that's, that's, that's lower for the, for the client. And that's one of the things, you know, the, you know, it's one of, in procurement gets a bad rap at times, but a lot of times they get down to the simplicity around hours, particularly hours and rate per hour. That's going to be really limiting in terms of what you do. And so I think that's one of the opportunities to unlock as part of this as well. Yeah, um, because technology, typically what technology does is it, it, it the impact, one impact typically is it reduces the costs of whatever it is, the, the, the item, the good, the service. And I'm not sure we've seen it yet. Um, really make an impact on professional services. No doubt, the more um, uh, the le- the least, the, sorry, the the less complex part of the services. Yes, it's starting to have an impact. But what what it should be doing in the long term is being um, is supporting the delivery, the quality of the delivery at the um, you know at the best in the best economic model. Um, and I think that's definitely what we're going to be seeing. Um, uh, over the coming years. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you know, both sides have to get value out of this, right? There's got to be... Correct. Because uh, otherwise you'll just end up, you'll end up losing the high talent, high quality providers, right? It's, either they won't participate or they'll go for another... It, it, exactly right. Um, all right, Jim, I'm going to wrap up with some of my favourite um, questions. Um, uh, what, what have you spent too much time worrying about in the past that on reflection has not been time well spent. Wow, worrying about professionally in this case, right? Um, well, look, share anything, professional, personal, but um, th- th- this is something which I, I, I try and talk to um, as many people as I can who are perhaps a bit earlier in their own journeys. So um, I think there, uh, the, the, the idea, and I, and I got better at this as I got older, which is, you know, focusing on the important versus the urgent, and they're not always the same. And you know, I, I did I did find. Look, I love. I, I got accused of time. You could you never never being willing to turn down a, a good fight, <laughs> and being sometimes being smarter about the fights you choose, right? <laughs> um, and and you know, so sometimes you can be right, but also dead right. And, but it really gets down to, and this is what I find a good strategy is really helpful to do. It creates a North Star that you keep pointing back to and saying, am I allocating my time the right way? Because I would say, particularly early on in my career, I wasn't always allocating my time. Um, it was the urgent thing as opposed to where I really needed to. And I got more and more disciplined over time to say, this is, I need to be spending time on these things. And it would change, every, you know, every year somewhat and, and, and getting better around that. The other is, I, you know, I have no tolerance for leaders who misuse their power for their own benefit. And so this is, you know, maybe not worrying about it, but, but it's certainly something that just bothers me to my core. 
And it's, um, it's one of those things that, that I can't help but, you know, kind of go after <laughs> when I see it happen. Luckily in my career, I didn't see it often, but, but I, I just hate when leaders are in a position of power and, and it, it's all about them as opposed to about the organization they're supposed to be stewarding. Well, I tell you what, you see that um, uh, in an organisation at the leadership level. Certainly, if you're early in your career, you should run a hundred miles, <laughs> um, uh, uh, unless you're unless you can be satisfied. It's not um, pervasive in that organisation that because that stuff is usually top down, um, and so uh, yeah. Look, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I had your first one about. Um, uh, allocating time to what's important rather than what's urgent. I think we all, I still struggle. <laughs> I today still struggle with that, you know, giving priority to what's in your inbox um, uh, or on your phone. And, and so I think that is a great, that's a, a great lesson. And that's, but it's a continuing one for all of us, um, making sure, whether, and it's personal and professional too. Um, allocating the right, well, the time to the right things. I talk, Tim, the, the most underappreciated yet most precious asset we all have, what is it? It's time. A, a, and we all, for some reason, our natural inclination is to assume it's, um, it's never-ending. It's infinite. We do. I, I will get to that or... It, we all assume for some – I think that's a default position and I, it's one of the things I talk about a, a, a bit. It is the most precious resource. It's limited. How are you going to spend it? Um, and, and have that – yeah, have that perspective because – and I, I find myself doing it too. I'll get to that or I'll – call my dad or whatever it is at, in good time because you assume there's plenty of it. Um, uh, but uh, it's certainly precious. Yeah, and, and I, I found particularly as a leader, it's good to have people that are unafraid because you, you, you see this, Jim. I mean, the more senior you get in an organization, the more filtered the information gets. And so you have to have some people that are just completely unafraid, unabashed to tell you, you know, that, that was a complete miss, right? <laughs> that doesn't work. Or, or around the time allocation. I, I had, you know, my, my chief of staff was with me for, you know, 15 years. She was a very, very good uh, managing director in our firm. She's still gone on and doing wonderful things, but she, she was unafraid to tell me the truth about anything. Now, she said it in a way that was constructive. She didn't just complain me, but there was lots of times she told me, you need to read it. And, and um, <laughs> the other thing I, I love talking about is creating an environment where that can happen. If you've created that environment where it's safe to speak up to the CEO and say, boy, that was a bad miss and here is why, sure, that might hurt, but that's exactly the environment you want to create. That's what we should all be striving for. Yeah, anytime I see an environment where the the truth gets stifled coming up, I, I get I, I, that's another one. I... That, that's a warning sign. Final question. Oh, sorry, Jim. I was, I was going to jump into a final question, uh, which was anything that keeps you up at night now. You know, it's 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 actually you know I was always 
particularly professionally, I, I did, I never, I never really, I had enough confidence in our organization that we could navigate just about anything. And so um, I probably spend more time at this point, you know, worrying about my family and just making sure my kids are all watched. As a parent, you never kind of, never stop. And so, you know, professionally, I always felt like, you know, there are ups and downs, but if you're, if your organization is kind of strong and set, well, you can navigate it. And in fact, I, I always believe the best organizations do, do better relatively in down market than an up market, but family, no doubt about it. Family. Yeah, that, that never stops. And on that note, Jim, I want to thank you for joining me. I have it. I've had an absolute blast in this discussion. Um, it's been great. And I think the audience is going to love it. Thank you, Jim. Really enjoyed it as well. Thanks, my friend. Fantastic. Bye-bye. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.